invite your attention to Matthew chapter 18. Every one of us, at some time in our lives, and maybe even right now, struggle with forgiveness. We either struggle with forgiving some people, or perhaps we are in need of forgiveness of some people. Sometimes we struggle with forgiving others, and sometimes we struggle with even forgiving ourselves. And so we're going to talk about a lot of these things today within this context of Matthew chapter 18. So I'm going to begin. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So... What we basically have here are some narcissists. A narcissist is someone who has an elevated view of themselves, someone who has a sense of entitlement, someone who is basically insensitive to other people, and someone who really believes that they're superior to other people. Well, all of those things describe these guys who come to Jesus and want to know about who's greatest. Because when you read the parallel versions, in one of them, uh, you basically have two brothers coming to Jesus and saying, you know, when you come into your kingdom, uh, I want to sit on your right hand, I want to sit on your left hand. In other words, they were basically saying, you know, when, whenever you uh, take over, whenever you run off the Romans, and whenever you reestablish the, the nation like it was in the days of David and Solomon and all that, we want the top spots. We want the best places. We want the most power. Well, why would someone ask for that unless they really kind of thought that they deserved that. And, that, and that's, that's what's going on here. And so, what does all of this have to do with forgiveness? Well, we'll talk about narcissists a little bit later in the lesson, but this is in the context of all these things that Jesus says about forgiveness. So the next verse says, he called to him a little child, put him in the midst of them and said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus really turns the tables and this has been called the upside down kingdom because uh, things are not like humans would naturally think they are in the kingdom of heaven. So usually men aspire to greatness and, and positions of power and notoriety and, and all of that sort of thing. But what Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. It's like a little child. And I don't know if this means as much to us today as it would have to them because today children are pretty much kings in the household, kings and queens. But it didn't used to be that way, and it certainly wasn't that way in first century culture. In fact, children were basically brushed aside. And, that, and that's why, remember the time when the disciples, uh, people were bringing their kids to Jesus, and the disciples said, get those kids out of here. 
Don't, don't be bothering him with children. And of course, Jesus said, no, 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 no. And he brought the children in. But that just gives you some kind of an idea of culturally the way that children were viewed. They had a, a low, they were way down low on the totem pole. They didn't rule the roost. And so that makes more sense when you understand the, the cultural aspect of that. So he calls this little child, in other words, it's a person of no significance. And he says, there's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven right there. There's your greatest. Another time, in a similar context, he, he basically says, the greatest is the servant of all. The greatest is the one, the, the foot washer. The greatest is the one who serves everybody else, who doesn't worry about themselves. In other words, the opposite of a narcissist, right? A narcissist is concerned about their own well-being, and they're not worried about everybody else. But Jesus said the one who's great in the kingdom is the person who is very considerate and sensitive to the needs of others and willing to give and help and serve other people. Whoever humbles himself like this little child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And you know, children, in this greater context of forgiveness, that's one thing that I, as a, a, a father and a grandfather and a pastor and uh, having been around children and worked with children for many, many years now, one of the qualities and, and characteristics of children, is, especially small children, they're very, very forgiving. They really are. I can remember times when I would sit down with my children and I would apologize to them, admit a wrong. Usually, in my case, it was something like not listening or assuming that they had done something wrong. Uh, you know, if one of them was guilty, they were all guilty, that sort of thing. And there were all kinds of things like that, and then I would realize later when I got more information and got the facts that I was wrong in the way I handled that situation. So I would sit, sit my child down and, and, and just talk to him about it and admit that I was wrong and ask forgiveness. You know, never one time, I don't ever remember a single time when one of my children did not very quickly, readily forgive me. That's, that's how children are. They're, they're tender-hearted and soft-hearted usually, and they're always willing to forgive. And so I think uh, this actually fits within this context of forgiveness. But you know, <clears throat> as we move on down, uh, we realize that uh, in, in the chapter, uh, there in verse 21 and, and 22, um, you know, when Peter was asking, how many times do I have to forgive someone who sins against me? Think about where is he coming from. I think a lot of people don't kind of like this. It, forgiving is a little difficult. Do I have to forgive? Okay, I, I get it. I have to forgive. But, okay, there's bound to be some point. There's bound to be a line here. There's somewhere that surely I don't have to forgive 
because I want justice. And you see, that's, that's the problem that we have. And one reason we have such a difficult time forgiving is, is simply because we are self-centered. We all struggle with pride. If you say you don't, you're in denial. We all struggle with pride on some level. And especially when someone wrongs us, that's hard to deal with. You know, if someone is wronging you, I might feel sorry for you. I might have a little bit of compassion, a little sensitivity and everything, but, oh, well, you know. But now, if they wrong me, that's a whole different ballgame. There's a whole other realm or degree of sensitivity and angst. At least that's usually the way people are. So Peter wants to know, okay, i got to forgive. When can I not forgive? And Jesus gave the strangest answer, didn't he? He didn't say 490 times. Why didn't he say 490 times? He said 70 times 7. What is that? When you, n- nobody ever does that. When you ask them for a number, nobody ever gives you a number like that. 12 times 9. How much money do I owe you? 5 times 4. No. So what's the point? What's he trying to convey here? What's the deal? He's essentially, again, it's a, it's a, a cultural thing, and in the context of first century Judaism, numbers had real meaning. Numbers had significance, and especially the number seven meant total, complete, whole. And 70 was 10 times that, And so 70 times 7, 490 represented the totality, infinity, essentially. In other words, Jesus is saying, when Peter asks, how many times do I have to forgive my brother that sins against me? Jesus is saying, every time. Every time. Never do you not forgive. That's what Jesus is saying. So don't be counting up to 490, and then on 491, you're going to start holding a grudge. That's not the point. The point is always forgive. And what Jesus is doing here is he is expressing, he is helping us understand the nature of the God we serve. This is how God forgives. God always forgives. God forgives. The only possible exception here, and we're going to see this in the parable that we're going to look at, and then in some other verses, the only possible exception is when we don't have a forgiving spirit. If we withhold forgiveness from others who have sinned against us, then we're likely to have a major problem with God forgiving us. So this is a matter of the heart and checking your heart, checking your attitude, checking your spirit, and what is in you. Can you let go of things, the wrongs that people have done you? And that's hard to do. 
That is very, very difficult to do. And so sometimes we can be critical, we can be judgmental, obstinate, and even hesitant in forgiving people who sin against us. But then, all of a sudden, we find ourselves in a situation where we need to be forgiven. And wasn't it interesting that the guy who asked Jesus how many times does my brother sin against me and I have to forgive him? It just happens to be the guy who later down the road denies Jesus three times and finds himself in need of forgiveness. And that's what happens. You see, when you withhold forgiveness, you're going to very quickly find yourself in a situation where you desire forgiveness. And if you want people to forgive you, then you need to be a forgiving person and be willing to forgive them. Does that make sense? I hope so, because your eternity may rest on it. Forgiveness is a serious deal, folks. And when we hold a grudge against people, when we withhold forgiveness for whatever reason, we've got a big problem. And the problem needs to be dealt with. And so we're going to talk a little bit today about the problem, some of the reasons why we don't forgive people, and then uh, hopefully help us understand how we can forgive people. Usually... When someone does not forgive, it's because they don't understand the nature of God and they don't understand the nature of man. If you understood God and if you understood people, it would be much easier for you to forgive. Usually people have not received the grace and mercy of God for themselves Because once you have fully understood and received grace and mercy, it is a no-brainer to offer it to the next guy. Okay? If you understand it, then it's easy to offer it. Forgiveness is hard for some people because... We, uh, we struggle with guilt and shame. Now, guilt and shame are two different things, okay? And we need to understand the difference. Guilt is understanding that I have done something wrong. And a person who is guilty needs to understand that guilt is a good thing. It is a good thing. It is a gift from God to help us understand the wrong that we have done. And then when people are experiencing guilt, it opens them up to wanting to do something about that, wanting to correct that, wanting to apologize, wanting to 
ask for forgiveness, wanting to make amends, those kinds of things. So guilt is a good thing. Just don't hang on to it. Kind of, it's kind of one of those deals like anger. You know when the Bible says, uh, don't let the sun go down on your anger? It's okay to be angry. Don't continue to be angry. Don't hang on to it. And that's the same thing with guilt. Guilt is a good thing. Just don't hold on to it. Shame, on the other hand, is not recognizing I've done something wrong or I've done something bad. Shame is I am bad. You see the difference? You see the difference between I have done something bad and I am bad. There's a big difference there. Did you know studies have been done and people who enjoy life, people who have a positive attitude, people who are extroverted, and, and of course there's exceptions to all of this, I'm just telling you that the general consensus found in, in studies and surveys, okay? Extroverts who have a positive attitude and are happy generally forgive very easily or more easily than others. People who are down on themselves, people who have a negative attitude, people who are not happy, they have a tendency, they are generally people who withhold forgiveness. Introverts, have a more difficult time forgiving people. I'm not saying introverts can't forgive. I am an introvert. We have a difficult time forgiving. So that's just something to be aware of. You need to have some self-awareness here, folks. We need to understand who we are. We need to understand ourselves. We need to understand what's happened to us in our life. We need to understand why we are the way we are. It's important. Because really, we need to realize that church, in fact, I could say any organization, any institution, any group of people, any gathering of people, you see, the, the problem is people, okay? I don't care if you got a baseball team, a Lions club, whatever. Where people are involved, it always can be messy and it can be difficult. Did anybody say marriage? <laughs> I knew we'd get a name in there. So where people are involved, it can be difficult, it can be messy. And when things get messy and when things get difficult, what are you going to do? How are you going to handle it? What's going to happen? How are you going to treat that person? What are you? And introverts usually turn inward. And when you turn inward, 
you typically begin to focus on the harm done to you. I have been violated. I have been abused. I have been hurt. I have been I, 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 I. And that's one reason why, generally speaking, it's more difficult for introverts to forgive others because they're not thinking about the other person so much. They're thinking about their self. Again, I'm preaching to myself here, okay? I'm not, and I'm not picking on introverts. Uh, one of these days, I, maybe I'll give a, a, a really good sermon on all the positive things about introverts. But I'm just, I, I want to be real, okay? And because relationships are messy, sometimes it can be messy in churches. Folks, there's no such thing as a perfect church. And you're thinking, well, why did he, he say that for? I already knew that. I just want to remind you, okay, uh, you can quit looking, all right? No such thing as a perfect church because you're in it, because I'm in it. <laughs> None of us are perfect. None of us are perfect. None of us. And we need to accept that. We need to accept that he's got some hang-ups. She's got some issues. They got problems. Well, yeah, they're people. We, that's, a, that's all of us. That's all of us. And so that's why, for example, we offered a class on emotionally healthy relationships. You didn't all attend the class? Emotionally healthy relationships. That's one of the areas of discipleship. When we set out to follow Jesus, when we determine we're going to be like Jesus and be a follower of Jesus, then we have to get serious about becoming emotionally healthy. How many of you have anger issues? How long have you been following Jesus? Why do you still have anger issues? We need to get serious about changing, about being better people, about becoming more like Jesus. It's time for us to grow up. It's time for us to stop this business of not being able to forgive people or ourselves. Let's talk about that a little bit. So I'm going to return to the text. Verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. 
Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I among them. So anywhere two or three people get together, it's church. Right? That's not what that says. One of the most abused scriptures in the New Testament is people that read Matthew 18, verse 18, and say that anywhere two of us are together, we have a church assembly. That, it's not even talking about that worship. Do you see the verses around it? Do you see he's talking about interpersonal relationships and when somebody in the church has something against somebody else in the church? Okay? You got something against me. Come to me. You know what people usually do? Do you know what Terry did to me? Do you know what Terry said to me? Can you believe that? And nobody ever comes to me. What did Jesus say? Jesus says you go to the person. Go to the person. Don't tell everybody about it. Don't gossip. Don't do anything like that. Go to the person. It's not that hard, folks. Uh, remember, emotionally healthy that's what emotionally healthy people do. You got a problem with somebody, you go sit down and talk to them. What if they get mad? <laughs> well, they might. Then what are you going to do? What are you going to do then? You know, un unless we learn how to get along in love, to understand each other, and to learn right behavior, regardless of whether the other person's behaving rightly, then we're always going to have problems. We are always going to have problems. What do you do when somebody yells at you? What's wrong with you, Steve? Anybody ever do that to you? Anybody ever say anything like that to you? Anybody get their emotions elevated and you feel like you're being attacked, even unfairly? Well, I'm not going to forgive them. It'll be a cold day in hell before I speak with them, before I have them over to my house, all that sort of thing. Come on. That's what I'm saying. We need to grow up and we need to learn how to treat one another and how to interact with one another. Jesus said, that's how the world will know that you're my disciples if you love each other. So we got to learn how to love better. We need to learn how to love well. We need to learn how to accept people, even when they're different than we are. Even when they see things different than we see. What do you do? When you, you and your, your spouse just don't see things the same way. You know what most people do? 
Very, very effective, man. They just fight it out. Really does a lot of good, doesn't it? Has it ever done you any good to yell at your wife? What'd you accomplish? Brilliant move, right? Boy, that settled it. We sure worked things out there, didn't we? What did it ever accomplish for you to yell and scream at somebody or to cuss at them or to call them a name? What good did that do? How did that help the relationship? How did that help the situation? And how does it help when you don't forgive people of the wrong that they do? What good does that do? What does that accomplish? I'll tell you what it accomplishes. It makes you a worse person. Number one, you sin by withholding forgiveness. Number two, if, if you keep bearing that and hanging on to it and thinking about it, what happens? We start to add to our anger some resentment, some bitterness. Did you know it can even turn into hatred. Yeah. And that's why it's so important for us to learn how to deal with conflict in healthy ways, in godly ways, in Christ-like ways. That's what we need to do. So, You ever been in a confrontation or you confronted someone? You had something against somebody. You, maybe it was your spouse. So you go to your spouse. You say, you know, yesterday when whatever happened, when you said, I felt... And next time, what I need for you to do is, you ever do anything like that? And then when you try to do something in a healthy, constructive, helpful way, the response you got was that, well, you're too sensitive. I didn't mean that. You're too sensitive. What, what are they doing here? They're, you're confronting them about some way they've sinned against you, some way they've hurt you, some way they've wronged you. And what are they doing it? They just flip that thing around and now they're pointing the finger at you. You're, you're the problem because you're so stinking sensitive. Man, maybe I am. How many of you let yourself be abused by a narcissist? Because that's what narcissists do. You see, a narcissist has a real hard time accepting that they've done anything wrong. And so what do they do? Well, they switch it around. They blame somebody else. They point the finger at you. You are the problem in this situation, not me. All of that kind of thing. And here's the thing about a narcissist. 
studies, research has been done. Narcissists rarely forgive. It's not easy for a narcissist to forgive other people. Because remember, you got this elevated view of yourself. You feel superior to the other person. You feel a sense of entitlement. And so that person who has that kind of view, they're looking down on the other person. And they're not sensitive to what the other person is going through or feeling. And they're not that concerned, not that interested in forgiving someone else. That's why this idea of humility is important. That's why we're not to think too highly of ourselves. You ever notice how it's easy to forgive someone that you perceive as on your level? In other words, she's just as bad as I am, or I'm just as bad as she is, or whatever. You know? You, you see yourself on the same level. And so it's easy to forgive that person because it's kind of like, well, I like forgiving myself. Did you know narcissists very easily forgive themselves? Did you know that? Very easy for a narcissist to forgive themselves. Well, of course. Let's have a correct view of ourselves. The Bible says there is none righteous. No, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every one of us is on the same level at the foot of the cross. We all need forgiveness. None of us is any better than anybody else. None of us is more deserving of forgiveness than anybody else. We are all equal. And I want to say one more thing, and I'll be finished. And I don't mean one more sentence. Um, I, want to, I want to talk about forgiving yourself. There are a lot of people who have a hard time forgiving themselves. And, and I, I think this is a very common thing among churched people. Because you, if you grew up going to church, you, you were taught from an early age the difference between right and wrong. You were taught moral concepts. You were taught ethics. And so you actually have a lot of knowledge about what's right and what's wrong. And so when you carry that knowledge with you into life, and then you sin, which you inevitably will do, and especially if you're in a, a, a legalistic context where maybe the church or your family or maybe your parents or whatever, uh, when you do mess up, Man, they come down hard on you. 
And so you feel all that guilt, and it continues, and you hang on to it. And after a while, it turns into shame. And you feel a sense of unworthiness. You feel a sense of I'm no good. I'm not worth being loved. Why would anybody want me? Because you begin to see yourself as a bad person. Did you know that people who struggle with shame are usually addicts? One form or another, I'm not saying they're all drug addicts or alcoholics or whatever. I'm not saying that. What I'm telling you is there is a close relationship to shame and addiction. Now you think about that. The person who feels like they are a bad person, that they cannot do any good, and that nobody would want them. Anybody that suffers from shame is usually going to look for some relief, and that's in self-medication. So they medicate themselves. And for a little while, it makes them feel better. And so next time, when they're all down on themselves, next time they're feeling shame, well, that made me feel a little bit better for a while, so go back and do it again, and again, and again, and again. And after a while, you become a slave to it. And what it actually is, is a self-fulfilling prophecy. Some people sabotage themselves. Some people are their own worst enemy because what they do, they go and they act out and when they act out, it causes more shame, right? They feel the guilt and the shame because I keep doing this over and over. Why can't I get rid of this? Why can't I overcome this? How come? Because I'm a bad person. That's why. I'm a terrible person. That's why I can't quit. That's why I can't get over it. I am a terrible person. And so it's a vicious cycle. Well, how do you get out of that vicious cycle? Number one, get your eyes off of your stinking self and look to Jesus. Self-forgiveness is a secondary issue because here's the thing. When, when you won't forgive yourself, you have made yourself the judge. Who are you to be the judge? Who are you to be the jury? Who are you to be the executioner? God is the judge. God alone is the judge. Not you. So quit judging yourself as bad, as worthless, as unlovable. Stop it. It, it's a form of selfishness and pride. It really is because all, what you're doing, you're focusing on you and you're elevating yourself to the judge as if you have the right to condemn yourself. You don't have the, that right. You are not the judge. 
Furthermore, Jesus Christ has died for your sins, and he has taken them away. Jesus has removed your sins. You are a child of God. Your sins are gone. He has paid the price. He's done what needs to be done. And there's nothing you can do about that except accept it. Accept the grace of God. Accept the mercy of God. Accept that God has forgiven you. He has. This morning, don't play God. Don't be the judge of yourself. Don't condemn yourself. Don't cast yourself into hell. Don't sabotage yourself. Don't continue to prove that you're a bad person by acting out over and over and over again. Jesus died to release you and free you from that slavery, from that bondage. So won't you come to Jesus? Praise team, come on up. Won't you let go of it? Quit wallowing in this self-forgiveness issue. You need to be concerned about one person forgiving you. One, not you. You need to be concerned about God's forgiveness. And he's done it through Jesus. He's already accepted you. He loves you. He cares for you. You're important. You are worth something to him. You are valuable. You are precious. God has already acted for you. And no matter what you've done. But this morning, we don't usually do this, but this morning when the praise team sings this song, if you're struggling with self-forgiveness, if you're struggling with forgiving others, then I'm just going to invite you to come up here on the front row and we can pray with you and for you. Why don't you come while we stand and sing the song?